welcome to the Weird Warriors podcast. On this podcast, we normally focus on the Weird War Tales comic book series published by DC Comics from 1971 to 1983. But however, on this episode, we're going to be telling you what we did on our summer vacation. Yes, folks, it's time for another installment of the Road Warriors, as the intro music might have tipped you off to. And this time around, we went on our Road Warriors trip once again to Terrificon, held at the Mohegan Sun Casino in Connecticut. And while we were there, we did some stuff, and we're going to tell you about it. So Rich will set you all up, and we'll get this road trip on the road. Yes, indeed. We actually had some Weird Warriors podcast swag this time. Woohoo! You know, Steve was going to wear his Weird Warriors podcast shirt, but he changed his mind for some reason. I, I don't know why. I wore my Sergeant Rock shirt that was referenced last year and my Weird Warriors podcast COVID mask and hat. We were going to be going to Ohio the next day to visit my 92-year-old Korean War vet father-in-law to help him move into assisted living. So I, I promised my wife I was going to take precautions just for the comic book scoreboard uh, scorecard. At this time last year, I had 21 of the old DC war books I was still hunting for. Three All-American Men of War, nine Our Army at War, one Our Fighting Forces, and eight Star Spangled War Stories. I'm currently down to seven, two All-American Men of War, and five Our Army at War. So yeah, folks, we're getting there. Yeah, Rich, tell them the issue numbers so people can get out there and buy them all. So. <laughs> well, well, that's the thing, because, you know, honestly, I was not putting any honest effort into trying to find any of this stuff at this con. Because when you get down to levels like this, you, you know you're not going to find anything. I mean, it was just... I'm there. I'm here. I went to this one to get signatures. Okay. And some of this stuff, it's like, you know, $400 for some, some, some of these are not going to be easy gets. Yes. I'm only seven away, but some of them are going to be difficult to find. So, but seven away, we'll see what happens, folks. I mean, I'm almost, I'm more, almost morally committed at this point. <laughs> Stop him while there's still time, people. <laughs> so, as for me, I would have worn some Weird Warriors podcast gear, but my shirt has given up the ghost, <laughs> and I haven't ordered a hat yet, and I wasn't going to carry my mug around, so I wore my new Alestorm shirt because, you know, I like good cheesy pirate metal, and like Gail's going to let me wear that shirt out in public with her, you know? All right, so I just went as my nerd. Yeah. <laughs> my nerd, get out of my way sweaty humanity but yeah this was the guest list if i thought the guest list last time was good the guest list this time is even better everyone that i wanted to get last time was scheduled to appear this time you know joe jayla klaus jansen mike golden billy tucci i mean it's just like so yeah i'm so glad i went last year so i didn't have to try to get all these people in addition to the people i was actively trying to get this year as for me, as usual, I had a smaller hit list than Rich, but I was actually interested in getting some signatures this time, which is a thing I'm usually not that big on because my main targets were writers and I don't really need sketches from them, as funny as that might be. <laughs> 
although it'd be interesting to see how good a writer draws. Yeah, I, mean, I, I never saw Giella. Uh, Jim Starlin was supposed to be there. He did the cover of Weird War Tales 89, brought that for a hopeful snipe, but, you know, didn't see him. Rick Leonardi was supposed to be there. He canceled, and I'd already pull, I'd pulled some books for him. So, eh, oh, well, can't have everything. Yeah, Leonardi would have been expensive for me. I, I love his art, so I might have had to break my bank and my, my vow of no sketches this time if he did show up. Rich and I had discussed getting a Creature Commando sketch from Pat Broderick, but as we'll get to, the prices of signatures and such kind of ruled that out this time around. <laughs> Good Lord, we're definitely going to be getting to that. Me and Steve, we know we got there before the doors opened. You know, the end of the line felt like it was the next state over. You know, Max may have seen me on his front porch. Uh, once, once we got in, uh, we made a beeline to Garth Ennis's table because this was all about Garth Ennis. I mean, he's like number one, number two, and number four on my list of people I needed to get signatures from. But turns out he didn't start signing until twelve thirty. Dang. Okay, well, who's closest? I can't say I didn't enjoy that because you guys were like, hey, we're already here and I'm, I'm just heading out. Well, you're an hour away, so like, when we like, were like yeah, three. <laughs> we're here and uh, oh, looks like uh, we still have to wait a few hours before Garth is even going to show up. I was like, eh, I'll be there eventually. So I arrived somewhat after the doors open. I really didn't have much of a wait to get in. The line looked pretty long, but moved at a decent clip. And I was right in there and still... No purpose. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. So anyway, as I said, who was closest? First person I stumbled upon was Carl Potts. He was still setting up when I got there. I think a personalized signature was 10 bucks and then 20 bucks after that. Among other books I brought, I had What If Peter Parker Became the Punisher that he wrote. There turns out there was supposed to be a follow-up, but quote, quote, politics got involved. I don't know what that was all about. I expected a Punisher conversation with Jerry Conway more than I expected one with Carl Potts. We got into an extended discussion about how the Punisher has been co-opted by the lunatic fringe. And he's like everybody else. He doesn't like seeing law enforcement or military sporting Punisher skulls any more than Conway does. The SS wore skulls. Our guys shouldn't. That even got written into season two of the Punisher miniseries where Castle gets all PO'd when he sees the logo on a cop car because that's not what the police should be about. Frank Castle is a flawed, two-dimensional human being that can't live with the deaths of his family. Look, I have well over a long box of Punisher in the basement, and that's just the stuff I've held on to over the years. I've seen all the movies and the miniseries, met Tom Jane, and have one of those flag-draped Punisher skull Velcro patches that I haven't displayed in years. I love the character, but I get why Marvel has changed the logo. Anyway, I personalized Punisher War Journal number one, then paid for number six, the Wolverine crossover. Apparently, he liked me because he said I could get another one. That would be uh, issue 14 of Punisher War's Journal, the Spider-Man crossover with a previous signing by Russ Heath. Huh. Paul Kupperberg was close. Max checked with him last time. I think it was $10 per signature. He worked on 12 issues of Weird War Tales, and I got him on 65 and 76. We talked for a while, and I wish I could remember the topic, but I got a laughing double middle finger out of him. I enjoyed talking to him. Howard Chaikin was right next to him, and he'd done the art in 76 also. So I tossed 10 bucks in the artist's relief jar that he had on his table to sign it. I brought a bunch of stuff for him to sign, NS and Al Milgram co-ops. 
but I, but I never got back to him. His, his style in 76 is very Klaus Jansen-esque. Honestly, I've never been a big fan of Chaikin's. His art is just too blocky, and I don't like the way he draws faces. He's kind of brisk, too. I, I don't know if he was joking or being sarcastic. Paul handed him my comic before I was ready to see what Chaikin's price was and what I had for him kind of threw me off. Like I said, just, I never got back. Yeah. I don't like Howard Chaikin. <laughs> I, I've, I've been like asked, you know, like, coerced to read so much of his stuff over the years. So, no, this is the one you got to read. Yeah. I get why you didn't like that one, Max, but this is the good stuff. And I read it and I'm like, oh, this is another story where Howard Chaikin says, you know, that thing you like, well, here's how it's absolutely, it's actually um, really disgusting and disappointing and terrible. And that's like the only story he ever writes. And yeah, I don't think his art's that great either. It's all subjective, but the man also has an attitude that I can't stand. I recently picked up a hardcover of that JSA Golden Age collection by James Robinson, a little miniseries from the 90s, which I love, and Chaikin writes like an intro or back matter or something in there. And it's all just self-congratulatory. Only golden age superhero comics are good. And this one is almost as good as those. And I am the arbiter of all that is good comics. And, and I'm like, yeah, but I've never seen you create one. So when I went to see Paul, I didn't even look at Howard Chaikin, which I'm sure he doesn't care about because, you know, he's important and I'm not. Anyway, I checked in with Paul this time too. Because I like Paul. And I, I can totally believe he got a double middle finger from him because uh, he'll shoot back pretty hard and fast, but in a nicer way than his, his buddy. So Paul didn't have anything at his table that I needed to buy this time around, but I brought something for him to sign. The Atlas of the DC Universe, circa 1990. Published for use with Mayfair Games' DC Heroes role-playing game. You got my nerd cred right there. If you know what I'm talking about, you're also a really big nerd. I had a copy of this book back when it came out because I will still buy like pretty much all superhero RPG stuff, even though I never get to play the games. But this copy was found for cheap at the Outer Limits in Waltham, Massachusetts, my favorite comic shop, the weekend before the show. The book apart from the basically meaningless stats for the characters and so forth, is an excellently written and comprehensive look at pretty much any and all places of interest in the DC universe. From Gotham and Metropolis to Fairfax, Maine, home of Chris King and Vicki Grant, the protagonists of the 1980s Dial H for Hero Run and Adventure comics. Hey, I said places of interest, right? My interest counts. Kind of. Also, this book contains fold-out maps of Gotham and Metropolis, as well as the world, the United States, and a map that specifically places Gotham in New Jersey and Metropolis in Delaware, both of which are stupid things, but neither of which are Paul Kupperberg's fault. Paul was presently surprised to see the book, as was the dude who just picked up Paul's Supertown young adult novel, which I read on Kindle a while back and is a lot of fun. People should read it. Turns out more people played that old RPG than I would have thought, even among the population attending a comic book convention. Paul was funny and patient as always, didn't flip me off. Uh, he did protest when I, I tried to mockingly say that he's the guy who put Gotham in New Jersey, which I knew 
preceded him, but he started the protest anyway. He wasn't going to let me slander him in public like that. <laughs> and he signed my book with the appropriate You Are Here embellishment. Pictures will be included. Paul is a longtime favorite writer of mine and is very active today writing prose with Crazy 8 Press, the aforementioned Supertown, JSA Ragnarok. He's got stories in thrilling adventure yarns and so forth. Again, Crazy 8 Press, go look him up. And he's also a frequent contributor to one of the few actually good comic book sites or websites out there, 13th Dimension. So I had a good visit with Paul. Yes, going back to the previous topic about signatures, though, I mean, everyone wanted 20 bucks a signature. I mean, my God. I mean, I wanted to do my famous, you know, DC War Book Surprise. Uh, Jerry Conaway with Star Spangled War Stories 193 and maybe Detective Comets uh, 510, which is part of a Manuel Marie two part. But, you know, for 20 bucks a pop, man, I just, I mean, I brought some classic Punisher. At those prices, I had to go with the automatic Spider-Man 129 reprint that was in Marvel Tales starring Spider-Man 209, the first appearance of uh, the Punisher with a Mike Zek cover, which is freaking awesome. I visited with Jerry as well. I freaking love Jerry Conway's writing, and I, I intended to have him sign my very first issue of the Legion of Superheroes that I ever read, which is the first appearance of the League of Super Assassins, number 253 from 1979. But I found out I don't have the individual issue. I guess I have it in one of the hardcover collections that I've been buying because you know I love to repurchase the same comic books over and over again, like many of us do. And I had, re I had reread the story recently, so it's gotta be in one of those collections. So I went bin diving at the show and had Jerry sign one of the more notorious stories from his, quite frankly, much maligned, though much beloved by me, run on the title. Numbers 260 and 261, featuring the Legion's run-in with the Space Circus of Death. And I wasn't even the first person to bring him those issues that day. Right on, fellow uh, Jerry Conway Legion fan. I also mentioned by now decades-long teasing of Steve, owner of the aforementioned Outer Limit shop, about his teenage traumatization over the death of Gwen Stacy and Steve's everlasting mock hatred of Mr. Conway since that story hit the stands. Jerry told me to tell Steve that he says hi. Ooh. You know, so anyway, like I said, I'm walking around, I'm wearing my, uh, my Sergeant Rock shirt, and some guy walked by and said, hey, nice shirt. And then he kind of like refocuses and he sees, you know, like, you know, the podcast, you know, a hat and shirt. And you're like, well, hey, what, you know, so we start talking about uh, about the podcast. It's like, yeah, we do podcasts, too. It turns out this was the uh, the Marvelists podcast. It was the, the, the Marvelists on Twitter. So I gave them all my information. And what you said, you got the uh, following request, you know, like almost immediately at the show. <laughs> They're they're following the Weird Warriors podcast Twitter and uh, marvelous. It's it's a nice little pun. It sounds like the word marvelous, but it is spelled for people who want to check them out on Twitter and listen to their show. It's M A R V E L I S T S, like the Marvel lists. There you go. Just you know, because guys spell stuff out like that. And uh, I'll go back in my cage now. <laughs> Well, this is why we were wearing some swag, right? You know, you know, meet up with some people, right? Get some new followers. So, 
Yeah, so anyway, all this has been going on, and me and Max officially still hadn't crossed paths yet. So Max arrived while I was cooling my heels in the John Romita Jr. line, waiting for him to show to start signing. Yeah, that was a long way. That was the longest line I was in all, all day. I mean, again, I brought a bunch of stuff that he had done, but at 20 bucks a pop, man, I chose to limit it to just one book, Amazing Spider-Man 36. It was the all-black cover, Marvel's official nod to the 9-11 attacks. And uh, yes, yeah, Romita Jr. had been at Boston a couple of years back, but I missed him because of the line. I mean, he, he's just one of these guys that just draws people in. So they have people walking around, you know, you know, collecting money up front, which you know keeps you from leaving. So there's that anyway. But uh, I spent the time waiting, uh, chatting with a Spider-Man cosplayer that was right behind me. It turns out um, J.R.J.R. and Scott Hanna, who was right next to him, uh, did the art duties in uh, Amazing Spidey 36. And they had a policy of whenever this issue appeared in front of them, they would do a free remark on the cover in appreciation for the military and first responders. Hanna was a get I hadn't planned on, although I brought a few books he'd worked on by pure chance. It was an additional 20 bucks. I felt almost obligated to do it, actually. But how could I not? I mean, I was carrying all this stuff around in an army backpack. So Ramita asked if I was in the service. I said I was. Uh, closing in on 12 years, aiming for 20. And he thanked me, shook my hand. I ended up telling him my origin story of doing basic at 41. It ended up being the prize of the con. I liked Panda's remark better, though. Check out the photo on the album. It was definitely the coolest thing that I got at this show, hands down. Yeah, it was pretty sweet. And, uh, you know, Ramita Jr. is drawing Spider-Man again at the moment. So, yeah, his line was going to be even longer than usual, I would have thought. So the $20 a signature thing really starts to add up. But, again, we will circle back to that as the uh, show goes on. Indeed. Yeah, I brought some Larry Hammam, but uh, I had him on other books. And since he wanted $20 per pass, I'd gotten Brett Breeding last year, but forgot to get him on Weird War Tales 100 with Jerry Ordway. I had Steve run over while I was in the Lamita line and shell out five bucks for that. Steve was proud to show off his Space Battleship Yamato print that he'd scored. The vendor he got it off of was surprised, A, he knew what it was, and B, named it correctly, not Star Blazers Argo. Again, I feel like, like I said at the show, I think that's a, a miss, just personally, on the generational thing there. I think, like, you and I would have been more likely to call it the Argo, because we grew up with Star Blazers. Steve's generation has had actual access to actual anime. So they tend to get it right because they've actually seen the right stuff. But I'll let that drop. <laughs> I would have stopped by to see Larry, too. I'm a huge fan of him in general and his G.I. Joe stuff in particular. But, you know, his sketch list is always full by Saturday, I've found. And the budget for this trip was not going to be as extravagant as last year for me. So I had ruled out getting new sketches anyway and didn't exactly need a $20 autograph from Larry. There's that price point again. Anyway, once all that was said and done, you look at your clock and it's just like, ooh, it's 1230. Time to get in the Ennis line. Now, Ennis only took cash and my son and I were almost broke by this time, by the time we got to the head of his line. We only had enough dough for one book each. 
but at least he was only charging five bucks per. You know, oh, by the way, the on-site ATMs were either empty or only spat out hundreds. So Steve decided to get uh, String Bags, a hardcover GN signed, which Garth personalized to Steve, although it's my book. Uh, whatever, it'll be his when I die anyway. <laughs> Garth seemed pleased to see it placed in front of him. I get it. He probably sees Preacher, Punisher, and the boys all day long. I went in with Hitman number one, which was what introduced me to Ennis's work. Hitman is a character near and dear to his heart. We chatted briefly, and I said I was in college when the title came out. And the guy behind the counter at the local shop asked me if I knew about this book called Preacher. I didn't. I was told in no uncertain terms I needed to check it out. And I did. Shook his hands and on our way. Yeah, I obviously really like Garth Ennis, too, as long as he doesn't try to write about superheroes. I mean, Hitman was the one time he handled the subject or the genre or whatever you want to call it with any semblance of maturity, in my opinion. I just feel like he should really stick to the stuff he actually likes to write about. He's got the cachet to call his shots at this point, after all. But with the success of the boys on Amazon Prime, I'm afraid he'll circle back to it. And I'm sorry, but the TV show that I finally started to watch is so much better than that comic. I, I could not stand the boys, but I'm in the minority there. Uh, I'll read a Garth Ennis War comic and drop the hat, though. So keep doing that stuff. I'll keep buying it. <laughs> So after we got done with that, it was time for lunch. Same place as last time. Steve zinged Max on driving the wrong way at the parking garage. Uh, so Max ended up paying uh, paying for Steve's meal in, a, in appreciation for the dig. And uh, we did an ATM run so we could load up on cash and get more stuff. Yeah, see that rule? Um, that's kind of like if someone makes Mr. Mixius Pitalik say his name backwards, he goes back to his home dimension. If you get a good burn on me and we're on the way to, to, to like, you know, to food, I'll pick it up for you. But don't let that get around. Just keep that between us. Yeah, so Steve and I went right back to NSS table and loaded up. Punishers 1 and 33, Hitman Lobo, that stupid bastard. World Hanks World Out number one, Johnny Red number one, Weird War Tales Special 2000. Yes, we will be getting to that one eventually, dear listeners. War Stories 1 and Enemy Ace War in Heaven. Russ Heath had already signed the Enemy Ace book and Tim Bradstreet Punisher number one. I told Garth about my uncle's 32 B-17 missions during the war, which is why I selected two of the books I did. Garth asked if he was still around and I said that he had passed my big question to him was if he was ever going to do any world war one stories he'd done where monsters dwell about 10 years ago it was you know era aviation but that was about as close as he'd come he's sticking to world war ii but he asked if we knew about the strip charlie's war and we replied that we had the complete collection Pat mills and joe cocoon no one did it better my dropping the Weird War special in front of him gave him a bit of a start, too. So I told him quickly about the podcast and how we were going to do all the late issues as well. At this point, I was getting a bit fanboy, and I told him uh, he was the only writer I regularly follow. He has more war stuff coming out next month, so be on the lookout. You know, I wish I'd had this meeting before I had my Dial F for Flanger Garth Ennis War comic chat guest spot. I also wish I'd thought to ask if he'd ever thought about doing a Punisher Hitman crossover. As a little bit of an interesting side note, when I was doing some research before said guest spot on Dial Up or Flanger, I discovered that Garth Ennis is exactly four days younger 
than me. <laughs> Our birthdays are that close. So you look at all the crap that he's done and he's younger than me. Like, damn. <laughs> uh, so moving on. Next person was Al Milgram. He had a long line last year, but no line this year. 10 bucks per. I can deal with that. So I selected Wolverine 44, previously signed by Larry Stroman last year, and Sergeant Rock 303, my surprise DC war comic moment. <laughs> Milgram had inked Joe Kubert's pencils. You know, said he was a great guy and a joy to work with. I mentioned meeting him at a con years ago, getting Army at War 83 signed. Milgram talked quite a bit about inking Strowman's pencils and how he puts a lot of effort to leave the original artist's style on the paper. The end result surprised Strowman and he really liked it. The issue was an experiment and, and led to the two of them working together on a long run of X Factor. Yeah, I mean, that's that's something people don't appreciate about Milgram. And that's that, that ties into my overall comment here. Like, I still didn't visit Milgram at his table but considering that most of what I have to say about the guy is that I've always really liked his art, even though most everyone else I've met, other than Rich, has always bagged on it. Perhaps that's for the best. But yeah, Milgram as an anchor, completely unappreciated, I feel, because he has a very distinct style when he pencils, but he's not one of those heavy-handed anchors that completely overdoes what someone has penciled and sucks all the style out of him. Like, I love Joe Sinnott. I love his work. But when Joe Sinnott inks something... It's kind of like Joe Sinnott drew it. And the same could be said for Jerry Ordway, who's an amazing artist. But when he inks something, you'd be forgiven for thinking he drew the whole thing. Milgram never really did that to people. Just, again, I had nothing I wanted him to sign and all that. Just, you know, let's get some Al Milgram appreciation out there, people. Come on. <laughs> I got Mirka and Dolfo on Bombshells 11. Yeah. That title came out, putting the women of D.C. in a World War II setting. How could I not pick that title up? Yeah, I actually read a lot of Bombshells issues back when it was coming out on Comixology, before Amazon pretty much burnt Comixology to the ground. From what I recall, it was a surprisingly well-thought-out alternate reality tale. There was a lot of meat on the bone there, and not bad for a series that was based on a line of retro cheesecake pinup statues. Yeah, I, mean, I, I did not realize that Mirka was involved in that because that came out quite a bit ago and she's only hit my radar recently. So that's cool. I, I you know, I really thought that was an impressive series back in the day. Yeah, she, I think she did work at about like half of the total titles, I think, doing something. But yeah, it's, it's funny. I used to work at a retail drugstore and they, in their toy section, they had bombshells, figurines, you know, like, like surprise toys in a tube or something like that and i got the i uh, bought one blind and ended up with like the catwoman one which is neat it's you know sitting on my desk downstairs so, yeah so who else was on the list mark bagley and randy emberlin but bagley's line was way too long and emberlin was too busy drawing and he was playing the pay five dollars more for signing the first carnage appearance issues game so yeah no yeah, we may have talked about this last time, but I know that tactic is meant to discourage the eBay flippers out there, but it's stupid and it also doesn't work. It does the opposite, in fact. eBay flippers are going to be more than willing to pay an extra five spot for something they will sell for a huge profit online the next day. Fans, however, are usually turned off by this and will likely think less of the creator 
the con experience and the hobby in general. So not a fan. Yeah, we did talk about this last time. You know, Mike, Michael Golden was doing that for knob number one, you know, which, which, which irritated me. But yeah, so saw uh, Peter Tomasi, writer of Light Brigade, which is the subject of an upcoming Intel report. I'd have brought my copy for a signature if I'd known, but I didn't feel like shelling up 25 bucks for something I already had. Oh, well. Onward! Well, speaking of onward and upward, let's talk about creators I visited that Rich did not. Now, I'm going to talk for a bit here, people, so if you wanted to skip ahead in the show, that's fine. First, I stopped by Archie Artist Extraordinaire Dan Parent's table, where I picked up a trade collection of Archie Meets Batman 66, which was, of course, a blast to read. Picked up an Archie 80th Anniversary Digest, too. Even if my aged eyes are beginning to struggle with that format just a bit these days. Also picked up some cool prints that he had brought to the show. He had a wall of them. So I picked up some that one was featuring the gang, you know, the Archie gang as the cast of Star Trek. One, the Legion of Superheroes. And one had an image of Betty Cooper as the young woman in what I think of as the cover for Die, Die, My Darling by the Misfits. But was first known as the cover to Chamber of Chills number 19 from 1953. Dan was super nice as always, and I'd love to see more of a line at his tables, dang it. The guy is fantastic and is still cranking out new, awesome Archie stories to this day and has his own stuff going on as well with Die Kitty Die and a few other things. Just look him up, people. He's not shy about promoting his stuff. I also swung by to visit the legendary Joe Staten, awesome artist of too many comics to mention. And you all definitely already know who he is. But most notably to me, as the co-creator of E-Man from Charlton Comics and some other some other publishers along the way also published E-Man, Joe and his wife Hillary are just a joy to be around every time I've ever met them. And just watching them interact with the people in line ahead of me was fun. I picked up an awesome JSA print from him and then scooted along to go see Don Glute. Yes, prolific writer of countless comics, most notable to me being those he created for Gold Key slash Whitman, including Dagar the Invincible, The Occult Files of Dr. Spectre, and Trag and the Sky Gods. Now, Don has done tons of work as a screenwriter, mostly for children's shows and animated series such as Spider-Man and his amazing friends and DuckTales, insert right there. Don's also kind of a big fan of the Frankenstein monster and has written tons of stories that you can find collected in the New Adventures of Frankenstein, volumes one and two, and Tales of Frankenstein, which is a comic anthology available on Amazon right now, kids. Don has also been a film director with at least eight films to his credit, ranging from 1996 to 2018 so far. He also currently writes a lot of stories for Warrant Publishing's Shudder and Vampiris Carmilla black and white horror comic anthology magazines. Most people, however, might know Don from a novelization he wrote of an obscure film called The Empire Strikes Back. So... I'm kind of a fan. Don was a super personable guy, very willing to talk about his work, very funny, and he cleared up how to say his last name to the person ahead of me in line by saying, I am Glute. So I had never known. I always wondered. 
considering his output, I wasn't sure if it was a self-effacing in-joke pen name about the glut of work attributed to him. So from Don, I bought a gold key, believe it or not, digest uh, with a very familiar cover to listeners of the show and a copy of Chilling Adventures and Sorcery number five, which I don't think Don had an actual story in, but it does have one of my favorite covers of all time and he had it at his table. So what the heck? The only bad part of the meeting, if I could call it bad, was when I gave Don some cash for my relatively modest purchase and he tried to hand me what what must have been about $200 and change. He kind of looked at me as though he needed me to figure out which bills to take. So I'm not sure if Don is having vision problems or if something else is going on. I mean, he's 78. But I let him know what was up, took the right amount of change, and later I alerted the con that maybe someone could help Don with his cash at the tape. As I said, though, Don Glute turned out to be a very cool guy to chat with, and I'm a huge fan of his work. So that's always nice. I like all the creators that I visited with, but Don Glute was definitely the show highlight for me this time around. I mean, how often have I ever seen him on a guest list and how many people really have it in the forefront of their mind who he is? So huge deal for me. I mean, even if, as we'll talk about later, I was soured on the whole concept of going to cons from now on. If a name like Don shows up for me, that's going to drag me out of the house. Yeah, so I finally started shopping after that. You know, I have a work buddy that's into the Marvel 2099 books. He, he gave me a hunt list, and I was able to find three for him. I mean, I mean, this dude is really into the Marvel 29, 2099 books, folks. He's got a, a tattoo of the Punisher, 2099 Punisher skull on him. So, yeah, there's that. <laughs> Um, I, like I said, I never seriously looked for any of the DC war books. I loaded up on a bunch of Charlton war books, though. Fighting Army, Fighting Marines, War. And I was surprised to find a few that I remembered from my childhood. Scoop. They will probably be the next books I start collecting, actually. Sam Glanz did a bunch of them. You know, Steve got some jerky and uh, Spaceballs, the sign sign in addition to his print damn i did a good job with this kid <laughs> yeah i remember we were going through the long boxes and i pulled up one of those charlton war books and you like snapped your head and went wait a minute because i was like gonna slide it back in and you were like i remember that book and then it began like yeah. i was just like oh yes <laughs> I was, i've been able to fight the the charlton war, war book thing for so long but I'm so close to finishing up the DC stuff and I've got all the reprints of, uh, in collected form of the EC war books. It's almost like, Oh God damn it. <laughs> but if I do go down that road, I'm going to have to do the research first and just make sure I have a running list of books that are reprinted. Because I mentioned before, you know, we went to Ohio, like right after this, uh, right after the con and there's this really great comic book store right near the, uh, the air force base, right? Pat air force base. And they had a couple of the Charlton War books. I'm like, ooh, yeah. And I was going to get one of them, and I'm looking at it. And I'm like, the stories on the cover, I recognize the titles. I mean, the art was completely different on the cover, but I recognize the story covers. Like, I just bought this one. Put it back. <laughs> so, so, you know, I saved myself, you know, like 10 bucks or something like that by at least catching that. But you know, that's not going to happen all the time. So, yeah, I, gotta, I need to develop a new a new hunt list for those books. Yeah, that's that's a big thing with Charlton. I love that company. 
they do a lot of great underappreciated books, but they were so reprint happy. Put a new cover on, even say all new on the cover, and the whole thing is reprints. So all new cover. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You really got to watch out for that with them. But they're still one of my favorite companies because they did so many cool horror anthology books, which are just as riddled with reprints as all their other stuff. So speaking of horror anthology books, in I think that same bank of long boxes, I picked up issue 62 of Gold Key's Twilight Zone series. So I actually bought more than a couple of comics, like three total out of the bins at the show. There we go. And that was the, the end of our uh, our commercial con experience at Terrificon. Yeah, like like what you were like saying before, them and just where do you go from here? Yeah, that was pretty much the end of the day. Saying, but cons are getting so freaking expensive. I mean, even the bargain bins aren't the deals they once were. Twenty bucks a signature? What the hell, man? You know, and the other thing is, there's not a whole lot of creators left. I need to get either. I mean, I either have them all or they're dead or both. <laughs> and and the ones I want, I'm not sure I'd travel a great distance to get them. Bagley and Emberlin by themselves? No. Jim Lee, maybe. You know, maybe some of the few DC war guys that are left, like Jerry Talayak. I mean, it really depend on who it is and how far it is. Also, there's not a lot of stuff I'm looking for. I mean, I mean eBay is where I'll probably going to polish off my DC war library. Who knows? But hey, we didn't get crop dusted this time. Yeah, I mean, you you can't you can't catch it every time, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Other than my God, yeah, we we talked a lot about this on the day of the con, and I still feel kind of the same way. As much as I love meeting my favorite creators, the, the convention scene is not only getting too expensive, but I'm also getting really tired of the grind like waiting in lines, trudging through the solid masses of slow-moving humanity, getting slowly coated in other people's airborne sweat. There's, there's got to be a better way to goof off and do nerdy stuff on a weekend with your buddies. As I mentioned before, I'll be keeping my eye out in the future for the more personal, legendary creators on the guest list out there for me. But I don't know. This really felt like, I felt like maybe I'm going to my last comic book convention. I just, I'm 51. I'm getting tired. I'm real tired, <laughs> boss, as they said in the Green Mile, you know? So that brings us to the end of yet another outing of the Road Warriors. And I'll let... Rich, do any last words that he might have right here. And after that, we'll wrap it up for real. Not much. We are in the planning stages of a, another Road Warriors episode. I'm not going to give too much away right now because, as I said, we are still in the planning stages and things change. But Sue Glansman does figure prominently in it. So really hoping that what we have planned lines up and it will be much rejoicing if it does and the road warriors can't be stopped people because they still haven't taken our driver's licenses away <laughs> not yet yet <laughs> <laughs> so until next we hit the road i have been max he's been rich we are the batman bros we are the road warriors this has been the weird warriors podcast and still we promise to make war no more.